This is, for me, my very first time preaching a message on New Year's Eve, December 31st. And uh, this whole last few weeks, I've been thinking about Sarah's been like, Terry, what are you preaching on? What are you preaching on? What are you preaching on? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because my series is over. We're starting a new one in January. Um, and so I, I just started thinking, what, is, what are some of the highlights um, of 2017? Um, that, that, you know, as you end up a year, it's always good to kind of look back and see, you know, what did I experience? What did I see? What did I learn? Um, what is it that God taught me? What are, what are your memorable moments of this last year? For me and for my house, it's all about the baby. Are you kidding me? January 11, 2017, our world got flipped, turned upside down. I'm going to start doing the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air here in a second. Um, and uh, yeah, everything changed for our house. And it's been all about, you know, that birth and his first steps and saying, Dada, way before he said, Mama, getting into everything, um, all of the newness, you know, everything is brand new and watching him explore stuff. That is our memorable stuff in the nun household. What about you guys? There's just, there's, it's just us here today at church. Anybody want to share? What's a memorable moment for you in 2017? Anybody have anything? Yes, Don. You can't sneak in the back of our church. <laughs> cool. Well, we're glad to have you. Yes, sir. Yeah. Anybody else? Memorable moment of 2017. Okay, I have one. Yes. Oh, he is here. Baby boys growing up. <laughs> They're always babies. Yeah. So cool. So cool. Anybody else? Remember Pat? One more. Anybody else? Memorable moment, 2017? Mr. George? Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just just keep learning and keep seeing and 
Just new, 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 new. Sasha, Travis, I'm glad you guys are back in the life of the living, man. <laughs> you guys had a rough couple of weeks there. Yeah. Hey, um, that's really cool. I, uh, I was thinking about a passage, this idea of memorable moments and, and God asking His people to look back from time to time. And Joshua chapter 4 is a really cool moment. Um, and we've actually looked at this story and different stories around it quite a bit this year. But in Joshua chapter 4, um, so the people of God have come out of Egypt and they've just spent you know, the time wandering in the wilderness, Moses leading the people. And now in Joshua, Moses, they're at the edge of the promised land, entering into it, and Moses can't go any further with them. And so Moses appoints Caleb and, and Joshua, who are actually the only two people that survived the wilderness wandering by the, by the call of God, um, to, uh, to lead the people, especially Joshua. And so in Joshua chapter 4, we have them about to cross the Jordan River. And listen to what it says. This is Joshua chapter 4, verse 4. It says, when all the people, or verse 1, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men. One from each tribe, and tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the river. Carry them out and pile them at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each tribe, or each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder. So it's not a pebble. It's not like a skipping rock stone. This is like a hefty duty, big thing that they're carrying on their shoulders, right? And it says, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River, River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Skip down to verse 19. This is the people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and He kept it dry until you were all across, just as He did at the Red Sea, when He dried it up until all had crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so that you might fear the Lord God forever. He's telling them, hey guys, we're going to build a memorial. And every time we cross this, every time you walk by, your kids are going to look, hey dad, hey mom, what does that mean? What does that mean? Why are those rocks there? River rocks don't belong at Gilgal. How did they get there? And you're going to say, this, let me tell you the story. Pull a chair up. Let me tell you what God did in our lives and what that means for us. So today, I just want to give you a few highlights give you a few thoughts, a few memorial stones, if you will, that you can hold on to about 2017. Just three key thoughts that God put on my heart and said, hey, this is, what, this is what's important. This is what we're all about in 2017. The first one is this. We talked about this back in May. Is that we exist as a church. We exist as people 
to help you discover who God is, who He created you to be, and how you can make a difference in this world. We exist as a place for you to discover who God is. That's why we did that long series called Believe. I think it was like 11 or 12 weeks long. We did it for the sole purpose for you to discover what do you believe about God? Because what we believe about God determines what we do. And what we do determines who we will become. Look, what I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't try to prove that God exists. It takes it for granted that God exists. And if you think about it, you know, we as a nation, as a country, as a world, we don't have a problem believing in God. Studies by Barna and other groups, other groups say that 92% of Americans say they believe in God. 92% say they believe in God. Now the question is, is what God or what kind of God do they believe in? You know, when, when the people of Israel were coming out of Egypt, they were leaving a very, um, polytheistic place in Egypt where they worshipped a lot of different gods. And they were moving into a country, into the promised land, that was surrounded by a lot of polytheistic tribes that worshipped lots of different gods. And, 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 and Joshua was asking the people over and over again, but what God are you going to believe in? Which God are you going to serve? That's what he says in Joshua chapter 24 at the end of the book. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But, you know this verse, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. What God do you serve? That's the question. There's lots of little G gods that try to take control of our lives. I, I would even say that Facebook can become a God from time to time. Money, our jobs, our careers, success, all that stuff. Um, our, our homes, our, our possessions, our phones. Yeah, all those things can become little... Did you point at me? No. Oh, point in there. <laughs> You can get, but me too, if the shoe fits. Yeah, 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 yeah. They can take control of our lives. It's okay. What God are you going to serve? And what do you know about Him? And how are you getting to know Him? What are you getting to know? What are you doing to get to know God? To really know who He is? and discover how He feels about you, and how He wants you to live, and what kind of blessings and plans He has for your life. That's what I love, Jeremiah 29, 11-13. says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And then verse 13, He says this, and He says, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. See, God's not playing hide-and-seek from us and trying to disguise Himself you know, we can't find him. He's saying, no, 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 no. I'm right here in the open. I want you to know me. I want you to find me. I want you to, when you look for me with your heart, man, I promise you, you can discover who I am. So we want you to help discover who God is. Not only who God is, but who he created you to be. You're a holy, blameless child of God. That's who he created you to be. You're a kid of the king. 
And the kid, and God doesn't see you through the mistakes or the sins that you make in your life. He sees you through the filter of his son. And so he sees you as a holy and blameless child through the filter of Jesus. What if we began to see ourselves the same way? What if we began to believe that we are meant to grow? That God wants you to grow? I mean, think about this. As little kids, that's the fun part, right? Watching them grow. Watching them discover new things. Now for moms, it's not that fun. They're like, hey, keep my baby a baby. Um, but it's fun watching them grow and discover and to learn. And it would be a problem if I took Wesley to the doctor and she just said, hey, I got to tell you, Wesley hasn't grown. He hasn't grown bigger. He hasn't grown taller. He hasn't grown wiser. He's, man, we got a problem. That would be an issue. Kids are meant to grow. And so are we as followers of Jesus. We are meant to grow. We're meant to grow in deeper truths. We're we're meant to grow in deeper understanding of who God is and who he created us to be and what he wants us to do in this world. We're meant to grow. Colossians 2, how do we do that? How do we grow? This This is what Paul says. He says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built upon him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And the way we grow as followers of God, as children of God, is we sink our roots down deep into Jesus. His heart, his love for this world. We look at his life and say, how did Jesus live? Who did he love? How did he serve? Who did he touch? And if that's how Jesus lived, maybe, just maybe, if I'm supposed to be a follower of Jesus, I might need to do the same. That's who he created you to be. You can make a difference in this world. You. God has gifted you and given you natural abilities and gifts to make you, to help you make a difference in the world that you live in. Look, I, I have a few abilities that I grew up with. Look, I, like, for some people, if I hand them a microphone and say, hey, I need you to speak in front of a group of people, they might hit me with that microphone, right? Anybody there? Just like, I'll just thump you in the head with it. And then there's people like me and Alicia, who you give us a microphone, we'll talk all day. You know, we're not afraid of talking in front of a group of, of people. That is a natural ability that God gave me. And I remember from a young age, I was like two, or, or in the second grade, not two, I was in the second grade, and I was playing Santa Claus in like our school play. And I, that might have been because I had a belly. But at the same time, I was not afraid of being in front of all those kids and all those parents. Look, I wanted to dance and sing and do all that crazy stuff. That was a natural ability that God gave me. But when I became a follower of Jesus, not only did he enhance those abilities, but he gave me spiritual gifts. And those are different. Those come into fruition in our lives as we surrender our life to the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the gifts that God gave me, I think, is teaching his word. It's a spiritual gift. And it's different than a natural ability. And as a follower of Jesus, God has given you the same. That's why it says in 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. You are gifted to serve. You are called to serve. Not only that, you're commanded to serve. It's not an option. If you are a follower of Jesus, it is your duty to serve this world with the gifts that he gave you. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, he's talking to us, not just little kids. He's calling us children. 
Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions show love. Show love. See, we want to discover who God is, who created us to be, and how we can make a difference in this world. Here's a second thought. The other kind of phrase that he gave us back in May that he wanted us to focus on in 2017 is that he wanted us to create a place that's welcoming and inviting, where everyone, absolutely everyone, in, in whatever stage of life or, or, or who they are or the color of their skin or their attitude or whatever, every single person is welcome. That we're a safe place for people to be and that they can come as you are. You come as you are. You know why it's okay for people to come as you are? Because we believe in a powerful Holy Spirit who, who gets a hold of people's lives and shapes them into the image of Jesus. And it's not our job to create those moments, but it's the power of God's Holy Spirit working in them, helping them to become who God created them to be. That's why we just come as you are, however, however you are. You come as you are, and it's our job to actively pursue people who are far from God. Why? Why do we pursue people who are far from God? Because they matter. They value, and God died for them. Jesus gave his life for them. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to what Paul writes. It's so good. He says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I'm not a slave. I have become a slave to all people. Why? To bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow Jewish law, I too live apart from that Jewish law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And so he's saying, hey, when I'm around Gentiles who didn't grow up like Jews, I act just like them. But I don't go overboard. I don't just, I, I don't dishonor God and His law because His law matters. The Christ, the law of Christ matters. I follow that law, but I'm willing to do anything for anybody so they can know Jesus. He says, when I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. As followers of Jesus, we are supposed to be living invitations of God. The scripture says, the scripture calls us two things, ambassadors and witnesses. Here's the thing, an ambassador, what is an ambassador to do? They speak on behalf of a, a foreign government, a foreign leader, a foreign king, right? That's what an ambassador is, they speak on behalf of, what does a witness do? In a trial, you put a witness on a witness stand and they tell their story, what they saw, what they experienced. And the scripture says you're to be ambassadors, you're to be witnesses. Here's the thing about being ambassadors and witness, you have to do one thing. You gotta talk. You gotta talk. 
What do you do, Kim? That's all right. <laughs> you got to talk. You got to tell your story. Now, let's be real, though. We have to live out our faith. We have to live our story. We can't just tell it. We have to live it in front of other people. Your life is light and salt to a world. That, that's what Jesus said, right? Matthew chapter 5, he says this. He says, you, you're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that can't be hidden. He says, you're like a candle that we place on a table that lights up a whole room. And you don't place that candle on a table and then cover with a bowl. This is a Jared paraphrase, by the way, Matthew chapter 5. He, he says, no, you leave it off. Why? So it lights up the whole room. You are the light of the world. Live out God's light to this world. He says, you're the salt of the earth. If salt loses its saltiness, you just throw it on the ground to be trampled upon. You just use it on a road so cars don't slip off. But salt, man, it brings out God's flavor to this world. There's a world around us that is desperate to encounter Jesus. And you get to be that experience. Your life, your love, your words, helping people to discover who God is. That's good. That's good. Here's a third thought. That we focus on discovering who God is. We create us to be in our place in this world. We, we create a place that's welcome, inviting. And it's not just about these walls being welcoming, inviting. It's about our lives, our homes. If you read Matthew chapter 5 in the message translation, it's really, there's a really cool part in there where he says, he says, I want you to keep open house. The analogy is opening up your front door and saying, all people are welcome here. I want you to live your life as an open house, welcoming people towards God through the way that you live. And the third thing is that, and this is, yeah, it's just as important as the first two. And as a dad, it's becoming more and more important to me. And it's passing on our faith. Investing our faith into the next generation. Man, I look at that little boy that God's given me and I think, man, there's nothing more important to me on this earth than passing Jesus to him. Helping him to understand who God is and how he loves him, and trying to, man, already at one years old, trying to think of creative ways where I can talk about God in front of him and tell him God's stories so that he can experience and know and capture in his heart how God feels about him. If you go back to that passage in Joshua that we read, that we read at the beginning, he says it twice in the front of the book, or front of the chapter, in the back of the chapter. He says, the reason we put in these rocks here, these river stones, where river stones don't belong, is so that one day when your children walk by, they'll say, hey, mom, hey, dad, what does that mean? And then you get to tell them the story of when God stopped the River Jordan and God parted the Red Sea and his people walked across dry ground. It's us teaching our children. And it's not just a church's job. It's your job as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends of the family to pass on who Jesus is to all these little kids and all these teenagers that God has put in our lives. We contribute to the next generation. 
Dan Craig is, was my worship pastor at the second church I pastored at. He was uh, preaching at a men's, not preaching, he was leading worship at a men's retreat at Merrimack Springs in Missouri. And uh, Merrimack Springs, and at Merrimack Springs, they have a trout park where they raise trout and then release them different times, um, you know, throughout the year. It's a cold, very, very cold water spring, and so the trout live in it year-round. And, um, and a part of this men's retreat that he was leading worship at, they would have a two-day fishing trip. Not fishing trip, but a fishing tournament, and uh, and so all the men bring all their fishing poles and they fish and and um, and then they keep their catch and they weigh them and measure them and whoever catches the most weight of fish is the tournament. And Dan has two twin boys, um, Caleb and Ben, who are super excited about fishing in this tournament because they were just sure they were going to win, right? I mean, they were I think they were like seven and eight at the time. They were super pumped. I mean, you get kids around fishing, and they get super excited about it, right? And um, and some of the, the the person who puts the tournament on just said, "Hey, hey, Dan, don't even bother trying to win this thing, because every single year the same older gentleman wins, and he's won every year that we've done this. He's won this. He is just a master trout fisherman." And so Dan got this idea. He was like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him if he'll teach my boys because we've never been trout fishing before. And if he's the master, what better person to learn from than someone who's done it all the time, right? And so, ben, so Dan went up to him and just said, hey, sir, I hear that you're amazing at this. Would it be okay for me and my boys to just follow you tomorrow and you can just teach us some of the things that you know about fishing? We've never done this before and we just want to learn. And the guy just kind of, you know him hot a little bit. And he was like, sure, just find me tomorrow and I'll show you a couple things. And um, so the next morning when the tournament started, Dan and Ben and Craig, man, they walked everywhere around that spring trying to find this older guy. And I just don't know if he had like a little honey hole um, around there, but they couldn't find him. He was nowhere to be found. And uh, that, that afternoon at lunch, you know, when everybody came back in to talk and share what they've caught and all that stuff, Dan said, hey, I thought you were going to teach my boys how to trout fish. Um, where do you want us to meet you? And he said, you know, I thought about it last night, and um, I, I don't think I'm going to do that. I think your boys should just learn the hard way. That's what I had to do, learn the hard way. And Dan just thought about it for a second. He just said, well, I thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And he just thought about it for a second. What a, you know, there are some things in life that you have to learn the hard way, maybe. But... I think it's a stupid way to learn, to be honest with you. He said, what a tragedy that this 70-something, you know, it could have been in his 80s-year-old man, who has this lifetime of knowledge that has made him amazing at something, is refusing to pass it on to the next generation of boys. He said, I thought about those my two boys, and my two boys, when they had kids, could one day say, hey, Hey, guys, or daughters, whatever, um, old Mr. Johnson at this fishing trip, he taught me how to trout fish. I'm going to teach you how to trout fish today. And they could have passed on that story. That is something, a, a true skill that he could have passed on that would have lived and been a legacy to his life. Instead, it dies with him. However long he has, it dies with him. And that's sad. As followers of Jesus, as parents, as 
leaders, as influence on our kids' lives, God has given us stories and experiences and truths and knowledge that He doesn't want to die with us. He wants us to pass it on to our kids. There's no greater job we have on this earth than passing on our faith to who God has put in our lives. Our kids, um, Bridget, um, I don't, you, you, I think you'll push play. Does he also have, is there music to it already? Okay, cool. This is some of the lessons that our kids learned this year. Just want you to watch this. It's really cute. You know, some of the truths in there, man, God has taught me that he loves me. Um, God has taught me to share my coffee. <laughs> God's taught me to care about homeless people and, and that he wants God to help them. God's taught me to be brave. Wow, what kind of truths to put in children's heart. We want to do more and give them more. Amen? Yeah. There's no greater job we have as a church. The truth is, um, in our parents' ministry, our, our children's ministry, we have a few needs. Um, we have a few classes that need some teachers. Um, our person who helps put together our schedule is having to step down. She has to take a second job and, and uh, just going to be too much for her. And, and uh, I'm just going to put this out there. If you, um, if you feel like God's putting it on your heart to care for our kids and to invest in the next generation, see me. And we'll discover together what gifts God may have given you and how we can use them for his kingdom, and for his glory in our kids' lives. 2017, you know, God said, hey, this is what one I want one to be about. 
helping people to discover who God is, who He created them to be, how we can become a welcome and inviting place, not just here, but in our lives out there, and, and passing on these truths to our kids and helping them to see and to know and to understand who God created them to be and what's their place in this world. And I know these things are for 2018, 19, and 20, and, and that's just who we're going to be. That's just who we're going to be.